on today's live pop-up submissions. We've got some comedy. We've got historical fiction. We've got action adventure. We've got commercial fiction. And we've got veterinary fantasy. Yeah, we've got all that. And we've got even more because we've got two fabulous guests. People you'll remember fondly, I hope. Um, look who it is, our first guest. The wonderful, awesome, dare I say even gorgeous pop sci writer. Here's Brian Clegg back with a bang. And not to be outdone, yes, on the other side of the room. It's wonderful Andy, Andy D from Latopia. And also apparently he's got a job as well on ITV. You might have seen it on the small screen. But today you're seeing him live, raw and uncensored. Let's have a look at some endorsements, see if got any comments coming in. Nathan, thank you. I'd like to thank you for your thoughtful feedback on the first few words of my novel. That's what we're here for. Rise of Arik and last Sunday's pop-up submissions. Your comments were absolutely spot on. Good. So way too much telling. Oh, that stuff. And not enough action. Character development in those first few paragraphs. Hmm. Common problem, actually. I've now addressed many of the issues that you, Alison, another regular guest, and Jack rightly observed. Thank you very much, Nathan. I appreciate that feedback. Um, give us comments and feedback. Good, bad, neutral, whatever. We need that sort of information to learn from. Mr. Now, it's a big deal because this is the last show of the month last show of the month and this is how it's looking um it was a real upset last time my hunch was wrong <laughs> and i thought we'd probably got a monthly winner in the form of chrissy sturt's middle grade fiction set during world war ii with a magical twist but as you can see no that's now the number two position because storming into the lead with an almost impregnable 81 points as galadriel michelle moore's dark fantasy fell but will there be yet another upset this week? Will someone else claim the monthly winner's title? Well, perhaps you should stick around and let's see. Oh, I've got a little notice. Oh, it's a Christmas party. Fairly early, unmissable, small but perfectly formed. It's on the 11th of December. Don't miss it if you're a Latopian. Come along to the huddle. Uh, it's a bit of a tradition for us now, actually. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you there. And let's go straight in, shall we, to the very first submission of the day, which is One Magic Summer. It's comedy. Oh, that's nice. Need a bit of comedy. It's from Pamela Jo Keeley, and this is Pamela's blurb. Pookas, Mustang cowponies, and an anarchist chihuahua. Oh, my. My head is exploding already. Maybe behind strange deaths in Wexford, but their owners, widow Jackie and divorcee Bernie, are suspects to Maeve, a young guard with a mysterious past. Wow, that's a lot to get your head round. When Bernie's abusive ex-husband is found dead after trying to poison her 21 rescue chihuahuas. <laughs> it's stretching my brains to their limit. They burn his corpse in a Midsummer's Eve bonfire, igniting magical mayhem. Now, the women must murder or go to jail. Obviously, yes, quite. Fairies got them into this mess. Can blood magic and their familiars get them out? Wow. That's all I can say. <laughs> wow, there's a lot to think about there. So much so that my head's expanding and the headphones are actually falling off. Let me tell you about Pamela. Uh, my first memory, says Pamela, of writing is scribbling handcuffed to the kitchen table. This gets interesting. My father was a small-town cop. 
Okay. Uh, this is this game called Jailbird. <laughs> it's getting very Fifty Shades, isn't it? Um, when he read my scrawls back to me, it felt like magic. I was published in school literary mags through college when an editor told me uh, an English prof whose advances I turned down hmm, refused to publish my poetry. Oh, sue the bastard. Um, I decided to become a journalist. <laughs> it was safer, but with fewer adjectives allowed. <laughs> This is good. I worked for local US radio stations, became newsreader for NHK Tokyo. Wow. Covered currency trading in Zurich and freelance for magazines. In 1989, I stole Charlie Wilson's champagne for my wedding in Karachi. Wow. That's quite a lot of living you've packed in so far. When I had two dyslexic sons, I became a reading teacher. Only recently have I begun writing again. Well, that's amazing. Um, and while I get my head all around that, let's have an amazing reading, shall we, from Emily. One Magic Summer by Pamela Jo, read by Emily. The puka came from a panoply of the mad, bad and dangerous to know. But the little plume-tailed being flummoxed it. The puka had nicknamed him Avatpak, for Ireland's legendary little vampires. However, time had run out. His mission had to begin today. The puka shifted into the terrible dark eagle as it was best known in Wexford and waited. Teddy leaped from his dog crate, pulled himself up and over the baby gate with his powerful front legs as practised as any SAS commando. Leaping to his feet, he trotted away, his head held high. His motto was Ladnagation in virtue loca, submission and insane virtue. Like Che Guevara, he would someday free all his sleeping Chihuahua comrades. Then they would feast, dance and claimed the couch as their own. Teddy saw an open window in the bedroom. He gauged he could scrabble down the crabapple tree outside to freedom. No sooner had he thought it than his paws followed his eyes. Landing, he did a recce. He didn't see the puka till he felt a darkness fall over him. All right, San, greeted the puka in his best wexican, thinking to build immediate rapport. Vulture, Teddy barked in warning. Vulture, vulture, bouncing with each exclamation. In between, he leaped for the puka, snatching for its tail feathers with his tiny mouth razors. Be the Lord, Harry Dog, the puka exclaimed in Wexkin again. Then, realising he might have his assailant wrong, he tried British-received pronunciation. Pardon me, old bean, but your teeth are savaging my tail, if you wouldn't mind. Teddy, having yanked out several pin feathers, shook his head growling. The feathers turned to smoke in his mouth. He had to lean back, his head almost touching his tail to see the puka eagle in its entirety. His instincts told him vulture, but maybe it was a rational prejudice. Burning amber eyes? Check. Feathers? Check. Scaly drooping neck? Ah. Are you a vulture or not? He asked forthrightly. Not. Teddy pondered the answer. You won't pick me up by my tail and devour me like a desert rat? Not in the next five minutes, the puka answered. Teddy's tongue lolled out of his mouth. The chihuahua way of saying they will not eat you in the next five minutes. Splendid! Having had a glimpse of your Jungian memory, time being but a persistent illusion to quote that Einstein chappy. Mm, could I conclude you are an Aztec? Mm, pooch? Warrior, Teddy said, his tongue quickly scrolling back in. Quite. Forgive the faux pas. Warrior. The puka paused. Teddy scratched a few times with his back paws. The puka took the hint. Thing is, you and your fellow comrades are in danger. Death is stalking you. I'm here to warn you. Beware of gifts bearing gifts. 
What kind of danger? Teddy asked, cocking his head. Ah, well, unfortunately I can't say more. The guild is very strict. The puka shook its head terrifyingly. What can you do? Regulations. Its hooded eyes lowered with the heavy weight of a bureaucrat's responsibility. You're a union representative? Teddy asked with sudden respect, his ears springing up. That would be one way of putting it, the puka drawled. Is it true your ancestral traditions, like our own, were once partial to? The puka paused dramatically. Blood sacrifice? Teddy shrugged nonchalantly. Fertilises the crops, renews the rain. Ah, in Wexford were more in need of sun. The she, the union I represent, have decided to take matters into their own hands. It checked that Teddy was listening. We desire a summer where we are warm and dry to our bones, figuratively speaking. Two-leggeds are unreasonable these days about the old ways of bringing sun. It rolled its eyes down to see if the chihuahua was still following. Teddy waited, staring at the puka unblinking. Unnerved, the puka decided that a wink was as good as a nod to a bloodthirsty Avertok. Just then, Bernie pulled into the drive with the shopping. Seeing Teddy, she thought he must have treed something. How did the little goblin get out this time? The puka vanished. Only smoky shadows remained. All right, so I've been paying very close attention to the genius room um, because I'm I'm a bit confused, actually. I'm not quite sure about this in, in many ways. And Ancora totally sums up, as, as the genius room always does, you know, you're a little bit unsure about anything, go to the genius room. Well, so you are. Uh, and Cora sum- summarises my reactions. She says, I've no idea what this is about or where it's going, but it's intriguing me. I'd read on, and that, that I feel exactly like that. What do you think, Brian? Uh, yeah, to an extent. I was a bit confused, I think, like with everybody by the blurb, although I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff in it. Mm. But And I, I quite enjoyed the opening. I preferred the puka, frankly, to the chihuahua. chihuahua. I'm a, I am a dog person, but a big dog person, and frankly, chihuahua is a rat, not a dog. But anyway, um, <laughs> but that apart, um, my problem with it really is assuming the humans are the central characters. We've got this far, and we've literally only just met one of the central characters. Now, I know yeah. that chihuahuas are yeah. sort of a character, but we're talking about murders and people sorting out that it's not going to be the chihuahuas, I presume, that do that too much. And I'm just a bit worried it's taking so long to get to the people. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have to agree with that. Um, are you... I didn't ask you this on the pre-show, Brian. Are you um, on the voting page? I am, yep. OK. Do you want to... Would you like to vote, actually? To I to? certainly can, yeah. Oh, thank you very much. And while you do that, we'll... Uh, um, avert our gaze uh, modestly and see what Andy thinks. Avert your gaze modestly and look at me. That's that's yes. always good. <laughs> Are you okay um, with the voting too, Andy, actually? Yes, yeah, so I have voted. Good. Okay, that's cool. Excellent. Okay. Um, that was just plain bonkers, wasn't it, really? I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm, 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 I don't really... I, I, I'm ignorant, as we all realise at this point, but I don't know what a poker is. Um, and uh, as, as it works its way down, it's some kind of bird, is it? Some kind of parrot or something? Or, no, it's not. Okay. It's it's if you've got a long memory and watch a lot of black and white television in your youth, you might have seen a film called Harvey. No. Oh, I've never seen that. I do. Yes. It's, is it, it's is very. It a rabbit. 
it, oh, sort yeah, of, of it was it? Yeah, yeah it was yeah, yeah. it was i'm not sure that's the official definition of a puka but harvey was actually yeah a puka and um, only stewart. visible to to who was the star i can't remember who's the star i can't remember james stewart yeah um, so, so yeah, I, I, I like other people have said, uh, didn't really know what was going on. Um, I kind of like the title. The blurb, I thought, that's a very long opening sentence with a lot of names. Yeah. And then fairies came into it. And again, yeah. you know, I chuckled, but I was pretty confused. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the humour, I think, in this does sort of work. I like the bit about the union rep. And it, it, it kind of, it reads smart, as in, you know, the writer can obviously write, and 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 it does read like the writer is is is, is clever is witty but but i i didn't really know what was going on unfortunately i didn't quite know who teddy was yeah well i think if you're introducing in your blurb a world of animals i'm not really sure where animals are talking and then there's fairies in it or by the time we got to the actual submission i i, I yeah. was just a bit lost yeah yeah i i have to agree with you um harvey was a puka thank you terry yeah chihuahuas big dogs and oh let's not get into the whole chihuahua thing <laughs> just because brian was very provocative just then um my favorite movie is harvey says vagabond big rabbit i i i remember it very fondly actually um i wouldn't know what a puka is says johnny if one was to bite me on the Ah, uh, well, you know what I mean, Alexis. I've only known a few pukas, but they were fine folk all around, in my opinion. Let's just go back to um, Andy now. Uh, some reason, it's um, the connection isn't being made. So, can you give me? This is to prove we're all fine, honest, above-board citizens, guys. Give me your your vote manually, and I can enter it in here. So, what yeah. what are you what are you giving the title? I think I gave it four for the title. Four? So you like the title? I do like the title, yeah. Yeah. Uh, two for the blurb. Two for the blurb. Uh, three for the craft and two for the bang. Three for the craft and two for the bang. That's fantastic. And there we go. The numbers have gone in. Uh, just a few seconds today. Let's look at the overall calculation so far. Remember, these numbers can go up or down as our genius room decides the, the fate of your manuscript. Um, and it's a very, very uh, momentous day today, of course, being the last uh, pop-up submissions of the month because that decides who the monthly winner is and who therefore gets fated and gets sent on as a priority submission to our publishing partner, Head of Zeus. So you got a 58 there, Pamela which I think is nothing to be ashamed of. It's a good score. I do think, I'll tell you what I think actually, and this is just theoretical, and it may not be the case in your case at all, but I suspect you've overworked this. I think you've got a very clear idea of, of the story and how it's going to get worked out. And I think you've just worked on this, maybe a few iterations too many, to the extent that it makes a lot of sense to you, but to the completely new reader like like us, we're just going, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? What are we? And, you know, as Andy said, it's all, you think, oh, it's a bit bonkers. So I, I think it might be worth going back a few iterations and just working out how you, you got into the whole storytelling thing and how you're going to take us into that world. Because at the moment, it's, it's producing too much confusion and that's not good.
let's see what's happening in uh, the wonderful, uh, weird, increasingly weirdly scientific world of Brian Clegg. Uh, let's look at your, your website here, Brian. I think a lot of people are familiar with this already, of course, brianclegg.net. Uh, why do you go for .net, by the way? Uh, because some swine in America had got .com <laughs> um, <laughs> and a, a huh. company that makes art products that's actually quite well known in the educational world has got really? .co.uk so it's, it's common beat me it's common it. it's just it's, it's just like my name there's, there's millions of Peter Coxes all around common as muck yeah. oh, I'm sorry sorry to hear that but there's another um, I often win on Google oh you do oh yeah good <laughs> good SEO um, is this your latest and greatest here that we're looking at um it's, it's yeah uh, there's two I'm particularly enthusiastic about at the moment this one actually frankly because of Adam Dant I don't know if you're familiar with him but he, he is a clever artist and it's a bit like a cross between uh, Where's Wally and a science book oh. uh, so he does these huge pictures that's just a fraction of one of them um, of different scenes okay. and in it there's all sorts of scientific things going on and then oh. we pull out little parts of the picture I tell you what I'm going to do. I tell you what I'm going to do at this point because you remember I'm, I'm the gross amateur here, and we actually do have a pro, in fact, who I've uh, neatly been hiding in case he shows me up. But I'm going. I'm going to appeal to him now at this particular moment. I'm going to say, Andy, you're the pro at this game. Let's have a look at those very interesting bullet points. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Pick one, and let's ask Brian to explain it. All right. So I don't know oh, if your audience yes. on actually. Yeah. Okay. Pick one. Can you see those now? Yeah, tell me, please, Brian, how glaciation shapes the landscapes around us. <laughs> That's good. Uh, he did that so well. Yeah. I, wish, I wish I could do it that well. <laughs> um, well, certainly not very quickly, I think, is a simple answer. Uh, but if you've ever been, say, in Switzerland, for instance, uh, they've got these amazing glaciated valleys uh, where a glacier is essentially carved a way through tends to be very straight up and down the sides to start with eventually they then become more sort of soft and, and more like we're used to uh, but something like the, the Lauterbrunnen Valley in Switzerland for instance uh, you know we're talking a thousand foot straight down mm -hmm. uh, corridor effectively that the glacier has pushed it through and I think just this is the amazing thing you know we think of ice as being something that sits there or floats around in your gin and tonic uh, <laughs> but the fact that you know glaciers are things that move are things that push stuff um just sheer sheer gravity it's, it's really just you know so i can we can we allow Andy a follow-up question please because I, I, I know what it is he's going i know what he's going to ask he's going to say brian how did that make you feel <laughs> <laughs> yes that's unfair that is unfair but true if oh. i was doing my day job that would be sitting there in my head how do you really feel about glaciation mm. <laughs> Well, actually, I have got a sort of supplementary feeling. Go for it. Go for it. Um, I visited a glacier in New Zealand. I think it was called Franz Joseph when I was 30 and walked around on it. And then 10, maybe 15 years later, I revisited it and it was no longer there. Uh, so how frightened are you about that? And I tell um, you, it, it, didn't melt, it didn't run away. It just melted. Yeah, there's no doubt at all that climate change is losing us a lot of glaciers, uh, and they are important. They provide water, uh, you know, further down, uh, for the meltwater from glaciers, uh, provides water further down the mountains uh, in the countries beneath them. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it, it's obviously a small part of the big picture of climate change, uh, but I think without doubt it is, you know, 
as big as people are saying. I'm, I certainly would never uh, suggest there's anything wrong with the idea that climate change is, is an imminent problem and something we need to do something about. Well, there we go. You asked, are you, are you happy with that answer, Andy? I hope you are, because it's going to be yes. a long show today. Good, fantastic. Time, Good, excellent. Well done. Uh, the professional has spoken. And I think I think let's have a look at uh, submission number, t- uh, number uh, two. Gosh, only two. <gasps> it's going to be a long show, guys. Let's have a look at number two, and then we'll come back and have another chat with uh, Brian. Here we go. Historical fiction, Charlie W. I think Charlie's in the uh, YouTube area, aren't you? Let's just see. Are you, Charlie? Are you really with us? Yes, you are. Hi, Charlie. Good to have you along. I always like it when our uh, authors join us live. Because uh, you can ask questions, you know, as you go along. You can review us, write us. It's good. Um, this is Charlie's blurb. There are no heroes, no villains. Only the brutal reality of civil war. When extremism takes hold. Ralph Reed, Reeve, orphan, outcast. His only option is to fight. It's all that's left. His brother Francis, bereaved, stigmatised, Puritan fanatic, oh, must be English Civil War, fights to cleanse England of sin. Anthony, ironworker, militant leveller, fights for change, an end to exploitation. Robbie, minor convict, for his, I'm losing track of the uh, dramatis personae here, uh, for his livelihood against elitism and justice, Thomasine, to atone for her guilt, all to save England. I've got the general idea. Slightly too many names, I think. Um, let me tell everybody about you, Charlie. I'm a soldier with experience on the ground in the Middle East, South Asia, and North Africa. Sorry, I mistook that for a full stop. It's not. I have seen humanity at its best, its worst, and its most desperate. This is a story that draws of time spent in the fraying margins of civilization, as well as a fascination with the upheaval of the 17th century, driven by climate change. How interesting is that? I didn't know that. I'm going to ask Brian about that in a moment. I'd, we're just talking about that. I love it when that happens. Uh, synchronicity, isn't it? It'll work. Uh, the English Revolution and our British Civil Wars, and their reflection today is resurgent tribalism, culture war, political and religious extremism. Well, that sounds relevant, interesting, compelling even. Probably means you should have a reading from Robert, I think. Letting of Blood by Charlie, read by Robert. One, God's vindictive wrath, Francis Reeve. Bible in one hand, pistol in the other, the preacher sat astride a horse, his voice lifted to God's light and a clear sky. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. A growl of assent ran through the ranks of godly horsemen. The Bible reading was well chosen. John's revelation of the end of times, God's wrath, the great destruction and Christ's final judgment. Across the veil, cut into the rich red earth, was an ancient image of a horse, a great primal beast stretched across the slope of Edgehill. Beneath it stood the army of an apostate king and his French whore. Francis Reeve let the power and resonance of God's word wash over him. 
He needed its reassurance to feel its armour, to let God's fervour fill him before this battle against sin and the army of the Antichrist. Lord, let this preacher fill thy servant with the strength to do thy bidding, with the strength to overcome the heathen, to build a new Zion in thy name. Let thy chosen army cleanse this land of sin, purge it of the forces of hell that stand before us. God knew that he too had been a sinner. Satan had lured him into temptation, into wickedness. Images of flesh still haunted him, burned his soul. His so-called friends had led him on an immoral path. They had lied, cheated and corrupted him. He did not need them. They had only caused him pain. God and the Bible were his companions now. Damn his father for the ungodly shit that he was. He had never understood, never loved him. The bastard blamed him for his own mother's death, said that she had died because he, Francis, was a bad and sickly child. Now the old fool was ruined, blinded by drink, lost in his crumbling house, in pain and unending sorrow. He should have turned to God. But Francis had always loved her. He loved her so much. She was kind and beautiful, soft and warm with her gentle hands and lullabies to soothe him when he was ill. He had just wanted to kiss her goodbye, tell her he was sorry for being sick. But they would not let him see her, kept him shut in his chamber, alone. The memory chafed like an open sore. But he had to keep the thought of her alive, to feel its pain until he could be with her again. He would not be alone for eternity. God had saved her from the slaughter in Europe, carried her safe to England to be his mother. Now she sat with Christ. He too had been saved by God. He was chosen and would be gathered in to sit beside her again. Damn his half-brother! Ralph was handsome and carefree, adored by all, while he had been sick, ugly, shunned. Now the immoral bastard lay with the whores that followed the cavalier host. He had always been a sinner. Francis had to stop him. He had to stop him before he corrupted Susanna with his licentious ways and his sin. The memory of her kissing Ralph still burned, but worse was the humiliation, her rejection, he had wanted to escort her home, away from the drunkenness, the banal, leering revellers. The heat rose beneath his well-tied collar, rose at the memory of her laughter as she ran to join Ralph in the midsummer ring dance, at her excited clapping as the bastard leapt to the bonfire. Accusation and anger flared the day after, the day he left home. Ralph announced he would volunteer to fight for the king. He was still drunk. He only did it to get the old man to give him money, to cheat him out of his love. But the old fool believed him. With tears in his eyes, he had given Ralph his old rapier. The sword should have gone to him, a true son, not to a bastard wastrel. Go straight to the genius room and see. Well, the genie I am mulling over here. Um, nice reading yeah it was rg says if all of it was as good as the opening couple of paragraphs i think that sums up the uh, the mood of the genius room um i would have scored this really highly this is the point where i would put it back on the shelf in a bookshop very interesting and i think very perceptive um yeah okay but let me not opine too much let's ask 
Andy? Um, it was fun, wasn't it? I mean, I think Robert was having a really good time. You know, I think he was, reason. yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, and I was having fun with it. I mean, look, Letting Blood, I'm not mad on it as a title. The, the blurb, I like lists and I like hyphens, but there was a lot of both in that blurb. So I cut back on that um, mm. if I was you. And you're obviously keen to, to talk about some big topics. Um, at the opening, you know, he's, he's, he's on his horse, he's got a Bible in one hand and a pistol in the other. And at first I'm thinking, oh my days, I'm a Christian. I went to church this morning. What is this going to be another nutter Christian character that I have to live with? But, you know, there was, there was, it was such overblown fun in it that I was going with it. And it was like, you know, the, the language was, this guy can write, Charlie, you can write for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the apostate king and his French whore, brilliant. Yeah, go on then, bring it on. But unfortunately, <laughs> we then got tons of backstory, hmm. and and also and and you know you're re- the, the referencing God and Christ and stuff. Even as someone who did go to church this morning, it felt a bit hmm. too much to me. Hmm. Um, and then you're talking about his mum and his dad, and it's like, no, we want to see some action. He's got a pistol. He's got a Bible. Let's have him get his gun out and shoot somebody, or you know, let's, let's get some, you know, let's get wow. some movement. Because you started with real movement. You started with, you know, I was excited, and then, and then you're taking me through his backstory, and he doesn't get on with his brother and stuff, which I'm sure is all pertinent to your plot, but it's all coming way too early. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there's some nice description in it. Some of the writing is really nice, and it, it made me, yeah, yeah, it made me yeah. giggle. Not, I wasn't laughing at your writing, but I was laughing at the the enthusiasm you were having in it yeah got it okay i think we do have a a connection issue with you for some some reason actually andy so uh probably you're gonna have to read out your your score again to me if you don't mind oh yes okay um more letting with blood i said three for the title three for the title yeah uh two for the blurb two for the blurb one for the money uh three for the craft and two for the bang and two for the bang got it fantastic brian yeah, I'm well. I I actually didn't mind the title. I quite like titles that are an, an X of Y. It works quite well for me. But um, as far as the blurb went, um, exactly as Andy said, uh, you know, I, I think it's the kind of thing you really should try reading aloud. Um, mm. Just read. The, I wrote down the first sentence so I could do this, and it's: "There are no heroes, no villains, only the brutal reality of civil war." when extremism takes hold. And it's basically flip-flopping. It's going mm. A, B, A. The, set, the bit at the end mm. should come with the bit at the front. Um, wow. Just little things like that would come to you better, I think, if you try reading it aloud. But inevitably, for me, there was too much exposition. It, it seems to be the most common problem, I think, with an opening. Uh, there was too much just telling us stuff at the start without actually anything happening, without any dialogue, uh, as you said, as Andy said, without anybody getting shot. Um, obviously, yeah. it's not cheerful. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to be too miserable. I, I like something to engage me in. in, in it, I don't mind misery, but I want something else as well. So yeah. I, I just felt we weren't quite there yet. Yeah, yeah, um, and lots and I lots. I can tell of you comments. about the uh, climate change, by the way, if you want. <laughs> yeah, please. Actually, yes. Why didn't I think of that? Absolutely. Yeah, please. What, what's the connection? I've never heard of that before. I suspect what he's referring to. There's something called the Little Ice Age. Uh, that happened after there was a late medieval period when uh, when it was quite warm, and then it got cold. You know, so they had things like the ice fairs on the uh, on the town. Oh yeah, of course, those, those pictures. Um, went, yeah, mm, mm. and the result of that, the low temperatures they had, you know, 
bad harvests, uh, those disease, um, and it sort of it has been blamed to some extent for some of the upheavals in Europe in that period. Mm. That's very interesting. Yeah, and who knows how close we might be to that now? I wonder. The thing, the thing is that there's there are comparisons, and actually, Charlie's already you know uh, astutely pointed those out. Actually, um, so what I'm thinking about in my own you know, venal way, because I'm the guy who has to make money out of this, Charlie, um, is, so where where is it going to be positioned? Is it going to be a big book? Is it going to be a little book with, you know, for a sort of a niche market? People are really, really keen on the English Civil War. And yes, we did have an English Civil War, guys. Um, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of um, non-UK uh, viewers were saying, well, Civil War, Civil War, that means the Americans fall. No, we actually had a Civil War. A lot of people don't even know that. Uh, so, is this escapism? Is it sort of, you know, into fantasy land? Is it, has it got that sort of potential? Or is it, is it actually maybe a bit of that, but also making a bit of a comment on the state of play today? Which I personally prefer that. I think, you know, a bit of escapism, fine. Escape into a, an, another world, but also a bit of an edge to it. I think that, that could be an interesting combination. I don't see that edge at the moment. Um, but nevertheless, I do feel there's something quite good here. And um, Johnny said something really interesting in the Genius Room, and I would I think he said it's it's been overpublished or something like that. And I'd really like to know the the reference points that he's talking about there. I can't think of anything offhand, but maybe there is some glaringly huge, um, you know, hit that I just um, just you know having a mental block about. But I just, I just feel there are comparison points. And I think, you know, the thing that publishers always say to you always, quite often, is why, why this book now? Why now? Why should we publish it now? Not in 50 years' time or 50 years ago. And if you can come up with a good answer to that, then you're a lot closer to a decent deal. Why now? And I, I've got a feeling there is, there is a reason, but it's, it's not coming through clearly enough yet. But I agree with everything else. I think, you know, you definitely can write. Um, let's go back to the... Actually, let's look at the overall numbers, actually, shall we? Yeah, 53, Charlie, 53. Let's see what the genius room said, because they're always right never wrong. They do like your title, definitely. Um, blurb, not beaten. No, no one's big on the blurb, actually. I think, yeah, you've, you've probably um, had enough notes on that from us. Craft is pretty much one of a want, uh, muchness, actually. And commercial appeal. Oh, funnily enough, I'm, I'm the guy who's... I'm normally really hard-nosed about this, but I, I do think there's something really interesting here. It's just it's just not fully formed at the moment. So, is that useful to you, Charlie? You're out there right now live. Let us know, please. I'd like to know. <laughs> While Charlie decides... Oh, Char he's, he's actually... Um, he's actually telling us just what Brian said, actually. There we go. Look, isn't that great? Uh, Little Ice Age is now seen as a cause of conflict in 1640s from China to America's. That's fascinating. I, I think there's a book there, actually. And Charlie also says, thanks, useful, good, excellent. Pleased to know that. Pleased to know that. Let's have a look at submission number three. Here we go. Intrepid Spirits. Action Adventure from David. Uh, QR code there too. You see these QR codes popping up and they are basically author's websites or Facebook page or maybe direct links through to Amazon perhaps so do um, you know flash your phone over it and see where it takes you to this is David's blurb past and present cross swords when an unjustly punished navy hero 
gets a humiliating job as captain of the haunted 200-year-old USS Constitution, Old Ironsides, on a PR tour of the Med. In a twist of historic fate, it sets the hero on a passage to romance and redemption when he and his crew, with nothing but their mystical floating museum and antique weapon weaponry, must rescue the US Vice President, I like it, from assassination by the progeny of the ship's historic foes, the Barbary Coast Pirates. I love a good pirate story. Oh, yeah. Let me uh, tell everybody about you, David. WGA-affiliated screenwriter. David, based Intrepid Spirit, his debut novel, on one of his screenplays, the inspiration for which originated with his interest in the Age of Sail and the history of the USS Constitution, um, combined with the events of 9-11. Now retired, he was a prominent US trial consultant, frequent media commentator on such high-profile trials as O.J. Simpson, Rodney King, the Unabomber, um, fixing the engine of justice as a non-profit work as a non-profit, not fiction, hopefully profitable, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the US jury system. Uh, he's a pilot and a sailor, lived many lives, clearly. Holds a BAMA degree, is a professional actor, stage film, member of the Military Writers Society of America. This sounds like a lot of fun, and it sounds like we should get Ali to read it, please. Intrepid Spirit by David, read by Alison. Prologue. Off the coast of Libya, 1805. The sea boiled off the bow of USS Constitution as she cut an angry gash through the waters off Tripoli, eager for her first taste of battle against the enemy she was built to fight, the Barbary Coast Pirates. Commodore Edward Preble didn't wait for the lookouts on the fighting platforms aloft to spot the enemy through breaks in the heavy fog cloaking Tripoli Harbour dead ahead. Battle stations, he ordered. Run out the guns. The bosun's fife signalled the command, and the pulsating beat of the drummer added an ominous rhythm to the chorus of clamouring boots over the ship's fur decks. Gunports flew open along the ship's oak hull. Once as sleek as a racing yacht, it now bristled with the iron barrels of forty-four heavy guns, their crews huddled behind them, awaiting orders to hurl their massive ordnance into enemy ships and fortifications. Sharpshooting marines, their muskets slung over their shoulders, climbed the heavy net-like rope shrouds to the fighting platforms on the masts. Preble assessed the performance of his officers and crew as they prepared for battle and relished the chance to visit destruction on the North African marauders. With their 18th century felucca galleys, powered by both sails and oarsmen, they had enjoyed the profits from raiding helpless merchant vessels and small European coastal villages and from the tribute they extracted, not only from European countries, but from an ill-equipped America as well. Now they were about to encounter a state-of-the-art warship, ordered built by President Thomas Jefferson, when he had had enough of what he called the Muscle Men. Harbour lights, five points off starboard bow, came the call from the lookout above, peering over the blanket of fog that enveloped the ship's hull below. From his position near the helm, just forward of the mizzenmast, Preble nudged the helmsman and pointed to a new heading to starboard, while his second-in-command, the untested Lieutenant Andrew Blair, issued orders to the junior officers. The fog had created a hazard for the ship entering the harbour, but Preble used it to advantage. 
Without it, a surprise attack by the 1,900-tonne, 200-foot-long vessel, with a main mast that scraped the sky at over 170 feet, would have been impossible. Her oil lamps extinguished, and with reduced sail, Constitution now cut silently through the fog like a ghost ship. As the sun peeked over a distant rise, Constitution punched through the fog bank into Tripoli Harbour, and in full view of the enemy, Horns blasted their alarm from the fortifications on a hill on the ship's port side, and trumpets on the enemy vessels anchored in the harbour stirred their crews to action. Moments later, the fort batteries fired on Constitution, nipping at her web of rigging and puncturing her sails, but otherwise causing little damage. With his hands clasped behind his back and his braided cocked hat and double-shoulder epaulets standing out from every other uniform on the ship, Preble calmly approached an ensign in charge of the carronades on the spar deck, the upper or weather deck of Constitution. The fort is the main threat, but it's out of range for your carronades. Get the order to the gun deck to target the shore batteries with the port long guns. The ensign ran to a companionway staircase and shouted Preble's orders to the long gun crews below, who elevated the barrels of their guns to target the Libyan fort ramparts, where enemy cannon fired on Constitution with increasing accuracy. Sporadic fire from the Libyan fort was answered by a decisive broadside from Constitution's port guns. Twenty-four-pound balls from the long guns reduced the walls of the fort to rubble, while the U.S. ship's starboard batteries took aim at the nearest of three enemy ships, now underway and closing the distance. Steer ten points to port, Preble commanded the helmsman. The captain waited as the starboard guns came into alignment with the oncoming enemy, then called out to his officers, Fire as your guns bear. Right. So here we are. I'm feeling a little queasy, a little seasick, I have to say. So <laughs> it's so visual. Oh my God, I could be there. Yes, I can, I can smell the salty briny even there. Brian, what did you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it slightly surprised me because uh, it's not a kind of book I would probably choose to read normally. Uh, what I find fascinating as someone very into science fiction and such is this is from the blurb, this reminds me remarkably of Battlestar Galactica, oh, uh, wow. the modern version, <laughs> not the old one, which basically was a an old warship that had become a museum and then got thrown into battle for real. That's um, your logline, so isn't it, actually? Yeah. It, it, it definitely had that feel about it. Mm. Um, and I, I, I like that. The only thing I think I wasn't quite sure about is Assuming from the um, the blurb that the main thing is about the present day, and that this was a flashback, as it were, I'd almost prefer it to get into the history a bit later. Introduces the main, the real world, as it were, first. Mm. Then, personally, I, I would prefer it that way around rather than have the historical bit first, because uh, I wanted to get into this modern bit with the ghosts and the yeah uh, the the the, the modern. Uh, yeah. Uh, plot, but you know, I did. I did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to get into that as well. Um, it's. It's. I don't know really. I mean, it, it is a bit of a giveaway, and I guess when you've got you know a big reveal like that, it's not really a reveal because you know, as and when it gets published, I'm sure it will get published. Over it. Um, you just know that what the publisher is going to do. They're going to have this wonderful sort of 
a spooky ghost ship on the, on the cover and a, a pirate with half his head hanging off and you know it's the whole thing really isn't it yeah so that's not really a, a secret anymore from the audience so mm, it's not a reveal um it's atmospheric isn't it actually i think everyone everyone in the chat room uh, genius room could 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 feel themselves there which is a tribute to you uh david what did you think andy um, I thought the blurb was great, great fun. Like, you know, we got a ghost ship, we've got old guns, we've got love, a president, and pirates. I mean, come on, that's Friday night sorted, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Just, <laughs> and enjoy that. Like a Chinese takeaway. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So no, look, great blurb. Well done with that. Um, yeah, we're straight into a prologue, and and then yeah. we're in eighteen oh five, and I think I think you're. For me, I didn't, as much as Brian's already said, I didn't really want to be in 1805 after the, that blurb. Because yeah. the, the blurb, the blurb was, was, such, was such good fun. Um, 1805 didn't have the appeal. And then you, for me, it kind of switched on because, you know, historical war fiction is not my thing. Um, you know, ghost ships and, and action. I, I Did you ever read any Hornblower? Are you of that no, generation? No, you didn't. No. You didn't get into it. No, okay. Just wondered. Go no, on. No, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't my thing. I mean, there, there's some nice writing in it. Um, I think, but I think as a, as a prologue, if you're kind of setting up the history of this ship and the blood that was spilled on it and all that 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 good stuff, yeah. Um, I just think this needs to be condensed a bit. There was there, there was too much description for me. Um, you know, but the, the tonnage, the footage, the height of the mast and stuff that was drawing me away from the action. And and some of the some of the sentence structure was very long. And I think for action, you need mm. short sentences, really. Um, it, was, it was just a bit too too dense for me to, I can't yeah. be, got a little bit lost in it. But, 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 you know, nicely written. But yeah, it needed a little bit more brevity for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michelle says, very atmospheric. Uh, Hannah says, I'm wondering if we need this prologue, though. Does chapter one introduce us to the character? Jan likes this. My only bump is the title, because the Intrepid is a well-known museum ship. Is it? I didn't know that. I expected that would be the boat due to the title. Interesting. So what I'm thinking to myself um, is, is Hornblower. And I'm thinking that... And a lot of people don't know Hornblower, but it's huge. I mean, massive, massive, great series i don't know the thing i uh, think david is that as i don't know what your intention is for this is it one off if it's one off i'm not so sure um i think i think you should be thinking about three books i think you should be thinking about introducing characters that could certainly live through three books possibly more extensibility um and what i've done actually because i find this quite an intriguing submission actually what i've done is I dug up the very first page here of the very first Hornblower novel. Um, I don't I have no idea whether it's uh, it was even published in the States, let alone whether it's successful. It may not have been, but in, in many English-speaking markets, Hornblower, as you can see, 1950, quite a long time ago, um, was just hugely successful. I, I still remember, actually, you know... Um, kids of the 1980s and 90s actually getting really into the Hornblower series too. By comparison, looking at uh, Mr. Forrester's first page here, I don't think it's any better at all than yours, David, actually. I don't think it is. So I think you've got a lot going for you here. Um, but I do think that it's just, you've got to lift it a bit out of that, that rather niche market. 
And I think you've got to show there's some extensibility. And a lot of people have been talking about the prologue thing, which I obviously agree with, because you know what my feelings about prologues is, don't get me started. Um, and I think that I would really, really like... To, I tell you what, the one difference I have found, actually, between uh, Forrester's uh, first page and yours, is that we are getting more invested in Forrester's main character as protagonist we're getting more invested we're not really getting so invested in yours and that's really the main difference and if you can move us more in that direction i think you've got a very interesting franchise here it may only be three books it's got to be three books it may only be three you might get bored after writing the third one people do quite a lot but if you can show that potential then i think you've got something going for you there should we see what the um the numbers are looking like so far only 49 so far no i tell you why because Andy's connections aren't working, so let's cut straight back to you, Andy. And once again, sorry I'll about this. Down oh, bless uh, you. I, Hold on a sec. I haven't, I've got to get... Oh, 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 you're, you're way ahead of me, as usual. Um, so, oh, I was going to say, when you've got the three of us on screen like that, all, all yeah. in a row, if yes. you squint your eyes and make us one face, I think we turn into one giant Eric Morecambe. <laughs> That's completely incomprehensible to most of our uh, viewers, actually. So uh, that also dates you enormously. Um, let's. This is submission number three. Give me, um, give me your, your marks for the title, please. Uh, three. Three. Yeah. And then blurb. four. Four. Four for the blurb. Yeah. yeah? Well, All right. Good blurb, right? Yeah. Go on. Three and a three. Three and a three. That's fantastic. Uh, those numbers are just notching up on the scoreboard now. So let's go back and see what the oh that's pretty good actually Dave you got a good solid 65 there in fact I tell you what should we look at the um the numbers today because this is quite an important show okay so it looks to me Mr David that you're currently in the lead actually on the show you are not you are not threatening uh Galadriel Mitchell Moore's stonkingly great 81 score of last show and that is really what what people have to be in order to become the the winner of today's uh, show and the monthly winner as well you're not close to threatening her but you are in with a very solid chance of being the show winner until of course we look at the next submission which is from chris it's commercial fiction oh like that make some money out of that it's called a country you can leave this is Chris's blurb. October 2020. Covid is raging. Brexit is getting done. Our train slips into the channel. That's the channel tunnel. England disappears. Two adults, two kids, and a cat called Cookie looking very pissed off on the back shelf of our overloaded Honda CRV. We cross the Alps into Italy at midnight. No border guards here, just deer peering out of the woods we arrive at half at a half habitable house in the hills of northern tuscany a year later we're settled here it feels like a miracle this is the story of how and why we did it i'll tell everybody about you chris and i must say uh yeah i wish you were here yeah <laughs> uh, aside from my writing i work in educational publishing well Allegedly, most publishing does have its educational aspects, Chris. And I live in Italy, in the wild northwest tip of Tuscany. I've been attached to this place for years, and the impending reality of Brexit made me finally make the move a year ago. I spend my spare time here tracking and filming wolves. Wow. <laughs> Another wildlife. 
uh, see my wild Lunigiana YouTube channel. Uh, there's no link for it there. But I, de I would definitely look at that. Uh, I've had two novels published, The Art of Waiting, Polygon, and Lost in the Flames, Magnita and Grace. Both are stories of love and hope set against the tragedy of historical events. Reviews of both books have been good. The Art of, Ri Art of Waiting was one of the booksellers' top five for April 2015 and debut of the month on Love Reading Co. UK. And got a good review from the Historical Novel Society. Very good pedigree. Means you deserve a very good pedigree reading from Emily. A Country You Can Leave by Chris. Read by Emily. September 2019. The white cliffs fade behind me. If only I could leave them forever this time. Instead, it'll be the usual two weeks, down through France to Italy, the horizon stretching out as if it might suck me in and never let me back. But let me back it will, the escape route to Europe almost lost, the Brexit walls going up around us now. The seagulls follow us out. A guy in a Boris Gets It Done t-shirt shovels crisps into his mouth and holds out crumbs for them. One of the gulls nearly takes off a finger. Oi! he shouts. Give an inch and you take a mile. Must be bloody French. His empty crisp packet falls at my feet. Roast beef and spitfire ale. What other flavour could it be? A spitfire had flown overhead as we were leaving, the sound of its merlin fading along the cliffs. This guy had probably spaffed up the wall at the sight of it, at the thought of old wars with Europe. Once I had loved that merlin sound too, for its deep personal significance, bomber command and the sacrifice my Uncle Jackie and thousands like him had made. Not just their ultimate sacrifice, but the moral burden of the firebombing. It had weighed on Jackie heavily. These hands have killed thousands, he told my gran in tears, on a trip back home between raids. Good carried out acts of evil then, so that evil may be defeated, and good in the end prevail. We might need to take that back again, the way things are going. The new fascists are among us now. They're not even hiding anymore. A thousand miles later I crawl out of bed at dawn. The moon lights the olive trees. Jaws crush fallen fruit in the undergrowth. Wild boar, the usual beasts. I shine a torch, but they carry on, unconcerned by a pale beam of light in the darkness. I can hear the kitten now, shuffling round blind in her box. Her ruined eye sticks out like an egg, a yellow-white film where the eye has burst. I hold her in the palm of my hand. She stares at me, unseeing. Poor thing, born out of dust, soon to return to it. Weeks old and already no chance in this world. I stroke her head and she purrs. I squeeze an ointment, in case there's still a tiny chance. And a tiny chance was all she had when I found her. I was standing on Pierino's balcony, suddenly aware of her fur on the earth in the sun, her head on a pillow of stone. I take her downstairs in her box and unchain the bike as quietly as I can, not out of consideration at such an early hour, but because that's the way people do things round here, quietly and with stealth. And the nearest neighbour is the man who kills cats, Eugenio, euthanasio, anesthesio, or whatever the hell he's called. So why worry about inconveniencing him? He hates cats, so he poisons them, any chance he gets. Logico, said Perino. He hates cats. He poisons them. Logico. Logico is Perino's favourite word. The bike hurtles downhill. No pedal power required, just the inevitability of gravity and the severity of the gradient. The kitten yowls, then settles, resigned to discomfort and pain. Soon we're into the blackness of the trees. There's the likelihood of boar, the possibility of wolves. A pothole almost throws me from the bike. 
We glide through Bagnon, past linden trees and war memorials. We reach Villa Franca with a minute to spare, the train pulling into view around the bend. A pair of migrants cross the tracks and stand in Armani t-shirts and stonewashed jeans, tapping into phones. These are the lucky ones, arriving in Italy years ago, establishing themselves before populism got out of its cage. God help those who are arriving now with the rise of the League and Salvini on the loose. Lies of short legs, but fascism's tentacles are long. They stretch from Moscow to Washington to London to Rome. All roads lead this way when history's lessons are lost to living memory. So the genius room has done what it does best because they are, after all, geniuses. Um, and they are saying, well, first thing, actually, which is, um, well, it's important, actually. Um, Annie said this and one or two other people as well. It doesn't feel uh, like fiction. And it doesn't It doesn't feel like fiction at all. It feels like um, yeah, memoir, absolutely non-fiction. So there's a slight cogdisk going on there, uh, at least in my head. Um, and Emily, I'm just trying to find it, guys. Oh, where is it now? Emily has said something that a number of other people have said too, and Emily is our reader, so we have to pay close attention to it, to what our readers say. Emily says, I thought this had a lovely rhythm and was easy to read. That's very good. That's, it's good to know that. I like the writing, but I'm not sure I want to read anything about COVID until 2097. And one or two other people have said that as well. So that does raise the question of timing. What did you think, Andy? Um... I could listen to Emily read the phone book, so I feel spoiled yeah. by her reading two submissions today. But I'm afraid for me, and this is my personal view, not even Emily can save you at this one, that, I mean, this this is one of my pet hates with some of the things we get sent on this programme. And, and it's just some, a, a, a submission that puts its politics so blisteringly front and centre. Yeah. As it happens, I agree with your politics and the stance of, and being anti-Brexit and and the the, you know, the frightening rise of populism where we see it, but you're you're just you're just hitting it so hard with a hammer. On the I nose. Just, on the nose. Me off yeah. Yeah. At, at, okay. At the go. You know. The, yeah. Your blurb is it seems reads to me basically as a family leaving the the UK with a black with a backdrop of COVID and Brexit. Well, mm. hello, we're still here. Um, you know, so so. Do I really want to read about jealous you? Jealous a little bit, maybe. <laughs> you know, just just sticking up two fingers at me, and then <laughs> and then you. Know, you're, I mean, look, it's Chris. Your, your writing is nice, and Emily's right. You've got a really nice flow and rhythm, but you know, you're talking about Brexit walls going up around us hmm. in the first paragraph. Then you, you paint a picture of a xenophobe in a Boris T-shirt, all very yes. economically and with mm. some wit. But yeah, it's yeah. just it's just tiresome and then spaffing up the wall at the front of old wars i mean that's quite i get what you're saying but you've already said it five times already you know and it's becoming grotesque yeah, it's a bit heavy isn't it yeah a bit heavy yeah yeah i can see that and then, yeah, I, 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 i'd like to read about wild boars and, and wolves that that all sounds you know i, I was getting in, into it then but then you start talking about populism and, and fascism again and i'm just like oh yeah. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a question of getting, getting the balance right. Um, Andy, let's let's get your numbers, please, um, while I'm with you and I've got my keyboard um, in front of me. I'd say, country, I like the title, so like four that. for a yeah. title. Four for a title, very good. Yeah, two for the blurb. Two for the blurb. Um, the craft, I like the rhythm of the writing, so I'd say probably, probably four for that. 
Yeah, I agree. But, but one for the bang. One. There's, okay. no, there's no bang in this book. No bang in that book. Not okay, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to reserve comment until we've heard from Brian. Yeah, I mean, I very much echo what Andy said. I mean, for me, the reason I didn't like the title so much is because, as far as I can see from the blurb, the book isn't actually about the country you can leave. It's about the country they're going to. <laughs> it's kind of back to front. The title isn't about what the yeah. book's about. Yeah. Uh, the blurb to me read, read a bit like a sort of fictional you're in Provence, basically. Yes. Uh, which can be fun, which can be yes. nice. Uh, but then the opening was just totally, as you say, dissonance. It just didn't fit at all. Uh, I couldn't give it as high a score for the craft because I just find it so heavy handed. Uh, mm. You know, as Andrew said, it just hit you over and over again. Yeah, we get it. We got the point. And also, I, I'd, I'd agree with our uh, reader that. You know, I really don't want to hear particularly about COVID and stuff at the moment. That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, That's the thing. So it's really yeah. difficult timing with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so the only other thing I would say, although I did like the blurb, is I think it, it lacked any sort of dramatic aspect, any edge. Uh, it just sort of stopped. Uh, and even in something like you're in a Provence, there are obstacles. It's all about overcoming the obstacles. There might be little obstacles. Yeah. There might be very first world obstacles, but it's still about overcoming them. Um, mm. And I didn't get any feel for that at all. The only, there wasn't any obstacle. They were just running away. And yeah. that didn't, for me, just didn't have anything. As Hannah points out, there's, there's COVID in Italy, Italy too. Of course, it was actually the uh, ground zero, wasn't it, for uh, European COVID, actually, all those uh, months ago, 18 months ago. Um, so you're not entirely running away. Um, that's a good point, Brian. So, what I'm, I, I, you actually took took the words out of my mouth in terms of a year in Provence. When you mention a year in Provence to publishers, they go all misty-eyed. I mean, you know, they do. They go, oh, that was great, because <laughs> it's one of those, you know, kind of surprise hits. Peter Mayle wasn't it? Um, advertising man dead now, quite a few decades ago, actually. And he just he just wrote about what what happened to his family, and they they buggered off to uh, Provence for a, a year. Hence the title, and um, it was just delightful. Actually, it was escapism, total escapism, and we all loved it. We lapped it up. I sold. I think it was a multi-million seller, probably just in the UK. Did really well, and publishers, are, it was, you know, of a certain age, are still saying, "Oh, that, that, there's another one out there somewhere. There's got to be, got to be," and. Um, I agree that the that it is a bit like being. Well, there are two two things going on here that are very negative and have already been pointed out. Of course, one is that you've buggered off and we haven't managed to. So, <laughs> so there is a certain feeling of uh, uh, Um And the other thing is that is it the right time now? Actually, and um, a number of people in the genius team say it's not. It's not so. I think the former is really just a, a, a question of degree. I, I do like the writing. I think you can definitely deliver on this. And I was very, I, I would have read more. I'd have read more, actually. But in the sort of way that, you know, you, re, you, you read the latest headlines in the newspaper to find out what the latest disasters are. And I just think there's, there's a lightness about the Peter Mayle thing. It was total escapism. And we, we all loved it because of that. And I think. It's got to touch that note somehow. It's a question really of style. Let's have a look at the numbers. But the numbers are a little bit lower than I expected, to be honest. Um, Generousum does like the title. I really like the title a lot. I'm going high today, aren't I? Um, and the blurb... 
various opinions, 40 and 60, Andy was not big on the blurb. Brian liked it a lot more. Crichton Croft. I, I, I'm sticking my neck out here, and I normally don't go that high, but I really do like the writing there, and I think, I think there is something interesting here, but it's, it's, maybe it's a presentational thing. So 57 so far, Chris. 57. Um, a good score, but not enough to beat our monthly winner so far, which is Galadriel Mitchell Moore with 81. And guys, we've only got one submission left. It's now or never. Here we are. Final submission of the month. And it's from Catherine F. Labars and Geraldine B. Hunt. Come with her. We don't get many come with manuscripts. I'd like to have more. Uh, I'm always interested in the the art and science of co-authoring happens a lot more of course uh, in non-fiction uh, and even more in um, film and television writing and this is the blurb oh it's I've got to tell you it's a veterinary fantasy how often well actually yeah yes yes Andy I know <laughs> I'm sure all will become clear soon <laughs> all right well, I mean, veterinary fantasies also have, of course, sold millions of books here in the UK. So let us not knock that genre. Um, the, the Havendale Sanctuary for Homeless Dragons, I like it already, is no longer safe. Colourful, messy and misunderstood. The dragons need a champion. Mythic species veterinarian Darwin Lee doesn't feel heroic. He's struggling to salvage his own life. But he'll risk it all to protect the sanctuary because, in his heart, every creature deserves a safe home. This is about our authors. I can't wait to hear this. It's so interesting. Co-authors, so interesting. Uh, We're sisters. Oh, okay. And our adventures are, as veterinarians, the humour, heartache and gloop. I bet there's lots of that. Inspired us to write The Dragons of Havendale. Between us, we have treated all creatures great and small. I've heard that before somewhere. Uh, mm. From a treasured leopard gecko to a feisty Siberian tiger. Wow. Why couldn't a world exist where vets tangled with griffins before lunch and dragons in the afternoon? And how would you take a kraken's pulse? Mm-hmm. If, assuming it's awakened, of course. Uh, while freelancing in England, Catherine wrote for the Veterinary Times. On returning to Australia, she opened her dream practice. Geraldine is an emeritus professor of veterinary surgery. Her professional confessional was published by Wiley in 2017. And her stories have appeared recently in Aurealis. Sorry about that. I'm not going to try that again today. And Sistership magazines. How interesting, intriguing. And you are going to be graced today, I'm delighted to say, by a reading from Kay. The Dragons of Havendale by Catherine F. Labars and Geraldine B. Hunt Read by Kay Chapter 1 All Creatures Welcome I pledge myself to the care of all creatures, treasured or homeless, fair favoured or base, no matter how irksome their need shall be. Covenant 1 of the Arcadian Veterinary Oath Darwin Lay contemplated his bound copy of the veterinary oath with a sense of freedom he hadn't felt since graduation. 
After 15 years of working for other vets, he was on the cusp of fulfilling a childhood dream, opening a practice of his own. Across the treatment room of Darwin's new hospital, Cass, the vet nurse, grumbled as she delved into packing crates crowding the floor. Those safety gauntlets I ordered still haven't arrived. Our first patient better not be a griffin, that's all I can say. Her head popped up, springy red hair more unruly than usual. Why are you smiling? I can't wait to meet our first patient, said Darwin, hoping it might be a dragon. For as long as he could remember, he had been fascinated by the animals that shared his world, and none more so than the ancient mythic species, puzzling creatures that other vets avoided and the textbooks overlooked. Me too, but there's so much to get ready before we open tomorrow. Cass unwrapped a shiny new stethoscope. You need... A sudden screeching of tyres in the car park drowned out whatever Darwin might have needed. Trading glances, he and Cass rushed outside to find a wild-eyed woman tugging at a tousled, muddy creature dwarfing the back seat of her stylish sedan. Help me! she screamed into the wintry air. A horrible chilly wetness spread across Darwin's chest as he hefted the unconscious werehound into the hospital and manhandled it onto a stainless steel table. His patient's brawny limbs dangled over the sides, and the fangs jutting from its muzzle harboured the eerie perilescence that Darwin knew signalled a waxing moon. It was one of the most impressive werehounds Darwin had seen, and the soggiest. Murky fluid dripped from its twitching paws and puddled on the floor as the reek of swamp weed invaded the room. The panicked owner of the werehound pressed in. What's happening to Lonnie? There's a heartbeat, said Cass, stethoscope plugged into her ears. But he's not breathing, said Darwin, trying in vain to rest the clenched jaws open. Starved of oxygen, the gums were an ominous, dusky purple, and the preternatural sheen was fading from the fangs. You're dying, thought Darwin, looking into Lonnie's vacant black eyes. Are we going to lose him? sobbed the owner. Not if I can help it. Darwin inhaled deeply and lowered his head to begin resuscitation. The werehound's snout was caked with mud and tasted of scourwort. Suppressing a gag, Darwin blew into the creature's nostrils until his cheeks ached. The chest barely moved. By now, Lonnie was completely limp and urine was leaking across the table. Darwin looked up at the owner, keeping his voice calm. Was he behaving normally before he collapsed? Totally. He was hurtling through the duck pond after his ball when he just flopped. The woman stared at her pet and tears welled up. He's gone, hasn't he? Not yet, grunted Darwin, finally managing to prise open the great jaws. Deep down, behind the barbed tongue, he glimpsed a foreign dome-like shape. Wincing as the werehound's cutting molars snagged his palm, he thrust his hand into the foamy throat and clawed at the object. Something's jammed in here. Cass, I need the tracheostomy tray. Cass's expression was composed, but her hair had escaped its clips on one side. She dove into a nearby crate. I'll find it. Probing the slimy obstruction, Darwin channeled his thoughts and imagined it shifting. Come out, he whispered. As if in response to his entreaty, the obstruction rotated. Darwin slipped his ring finger past it and jerked. Something flew in an arc from Lonnie's mouth and thudded across the floor. Breathing tube, Cass, now. 
On it, she said, jabbing scissors at a packet. Darwin dashed sweat from his eyes. He clamped his patient's muzzle with one hand, then blew into its nostrils again. This time the lungs expanded. He laid his other hand on the ribcage, and deep inside Lonnie's great heart stuttered, then boomed, like a cold engine coming alive. Uh, uh, generally, as you can see from the uh, live uh, comments on Genius who came in, generally a very positive reaction there. Okay, our wonderful narrator there um, says, I really like this. Nice writing, straight into some action. We'll definitely read on. And Hannah, I seem to get incredibly enthusiastic about it. I think um, to the extent she had sort of uh, slight rush of blood to the head there. She said, what, she, what did she say? She said, she said, oh, I can't see it now. She said, really realistic. I, th I, I, can't, I can't see it. It's up there somewhere. May, may have scrolled off. Really realistic. It's about dragons. Okay, what did you think, Brian? I was surprised by how much I liked it, actually. Oh, good, um, good. Because the title made me feel, it felt a little bit sort of twee, almost. In fact, yeah. I think the title's the worst thing about it. Um, but when you actually get into it, it has a bit of grit, you know, and it gets into the actions straight away, which I like, particularly in this kind of book. Uh, you know, I don't want lots of thoughtful background stuff. I want to get into it, and, and they have. Uh, so I think with the tweak of the title, I, I think it's mm. looking quite promising to me. Wow, Jones. yeah, and that's reflected in your scores, actually. You, you think it's got... You've given it five stars, actually, for commercial commercial features. What, what we say, bang, that's our shorthand for commercial appeal. Uh, you like the craft a lot, the blurb you like a lot. Not wild about that. What, so what, what don't you like about the title? How would you like to reshape the title? Well, I think literally just, it, it, you know, it sounds like a cartoon... Uh, on the on the children's channel, the dragons of of, of Avondale. Uh, I, I think it's okay. just. I mean, dragons great. Obviously, we do the dragons, but I, I think the of Avondale just makes it feel a bit too, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and of Green Gables with dragons. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I, I, I would just okay. want it a, a little bit sharper on the title. Yeah, I think. how to give a dragon an emetic or something like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll think about that. What did you think, Andy? I'm Jack. It, it is. It's, it's a little difficult to be objective when when you've got a submission coming from the colony, um, especially when you can see everyone popping up from the colony saying how much they loved it. Yeah, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I quite like the title. I, I can see what Brian's saying, but but I, it kind of works for me. I thought the blurb was really economical and quite sweet. And then when I figured, you know, it's like all creatures great and small with griffins and dragons. I, I devoured the old creatures, great and small books when I was a I was a child. Yeah, I absolutely me, too, loved me too. And yeah. I, I immediately wrote down, mind you, this is obviously just the way my mind goes. But how long until we've got a vet, a vet daring to put its arm up a dragon's arse? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's got to happen. <laughs> that might be series <laughs> two. They talk about it in series one, and they do it in series two. I think. Yeah. Well, instead, but it, you know, come on, credit to it. With I mean, that packs an awful lot into seven hundred words. Yeah. And and within that, we had a vet, you know, plunging his hand down the mouth of a of a werewolf. I mean, that's pretty good. You know, yep. jolly, jolly well done. I yeah, thought it was really well going. written. I think it's a fantastic idea. Fantastic idea. So I think it is. Yeah, it's got, yeah. It's got big marks for me. Yeah. Good. All right. well, well, speaking of which, can you please dictate? Um, I'll give it a four for the title. Nice. Four for the blurb. Yeah. Uh, four for the craft. Gotcha. And five for the bank. Five.
that is very good going. You see the numbers are going there after a slight delay because we have slow electrons today. Let's look at the numbers on that. Oh, my goodness, Ooh. it's so close. Wow. So, um, wouldn't that be strange if we got a tie, actually? Wouldn't it? We have to give it a few seconds more, actually. Let's just go back to the uh, genius room. Um, oh, oh Terry's got a title. You see that? How, how do you feel about that, Brian? Yeah, except you've got some dragons, really. Can, can I just say something about all creatures great and small? Because totally. it, it'd be easy to think of it as something that might be a bit niche and British. Uh, but I, I remember going to a conference in Miami um in the 1990s um and it was uh it was an airline conference and there was somebody from columbia there and we were chatting and she said where do you come from i said of the north of england and her, her immediate response was james harriet oh and this was somebody goodness. from columbia who'd never been oh, to the uk wow. you know it had it has that real ability to get out there something like this yeah. i think potential that's amazing and it's back on the telly, isn't it i mean I is it really is it yeah, it's back on. It's, they've redone it on Channel Five, and my mum and dad are watching it, and they watch the old wow. one, and they're, they're loving yeah. it. And I must admit, I did when they commissioned it. I thought that's probably the brightest thing Channel Five have ever done, because um, you, know, you can you can see that going into onto Netflix as well. And you know, like yeah. you say, it does go international. Absolutely, I tell you, tell you something as well. I thought Kay is reading because we've got a little bit of a Scottish brogue going on there. I, I had a, a slight flashback to this is going to really date me. Sorry about this, guys. To Doctor Finley's case book with dragons actually i just thought that's such that's absolutely the right position great position let's look at the numbers now it is 80 it is 80 we're cutting the score off at that point no more votes please you've had your chance it's a, a hair's breadth away isn't that extraordinary i mean it's it's very rare we get even one 80 plus in a month uh, this is how the the final score looks for this show How about that? Oh, look at those greens as well. All the way through for our final submission of the day from Catherine F and Geraldine B. Um, we like that a lot. It means... Yeah. Show winners. Show winners. Slight reservations about the title. Other than that, we think it's almost perfectly formed. But it doesn't change. It doesn't change things doesn't change things for the month actually means that our winner of last week's show is now our monthly winner congratulations it was close it was sweaty but it was you. Congratulations, Galadriel. You will go forward to win all kinds of wonderful things. Actually, I have to say, in the new year, we are actually enhancing our, our uh, monthly winner's uh, package. So, yes, you, you will get sent as a priority submission ahead of Zeus, but you're going to get a few more really important things, too. More about that later. For now, let's say goodnight. Thanks for joining us live. You've been wonderful. Hopefully we have, too. And we'll see you next week. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Walking out with suits and ties, just sitting in the crowd, smoking big cigars. I hope you're ready for what's coming now. On the one, on the lady, go bring it down. There's 
Big boys claim 